Hello dreamers, thinkers and doers, welcome to Ideate with Florian. This is the podcast that dives into the minds of innovators and risk takers who've dared to make their dreams a reality. I'm your host, Florian Hornaar, and through my 25-year journey in the software industry, I've had the privilege of contributing to small and medium-sized companies in various roles, including software engineering, sales and management. As a lifelong learner, I cherish the opportunities to connect with professionals from diverse fields and grow together. I'm excited to explore the journeys of our guests with you, so let's dive in. Have you ever experienced a crisis meeting? If so, did you later realize you missed crucial details because you were busy jotting down notes on paper? If you can relate, let me introduce you to Ruud van den Beukel, who along with his team has developed a software tool that revolutionizes the entire crisis management process. This tool simplifies everything from recording meetings to tracking actions and progress. But here's the interesting part. Their tool isn't just limited to crisis management. It has evolved and expanded organically based on customer feedback, incorporating a wide range of features. Join me in this inspiring conversation where we learn the story of Merlin Crisis Software from inception to their current success. Welcome to the show. Today we have as guest uh, Ruud van der Beukel. And uh, my first question to Ruud is like, hey Ruud, what do you do in daily life? Well, I'm the uh, CEO of Merlin Software. What we do is we create software for crisis management. So those are tools that help organizations to basically manage all the information that pops up when an organization is hit by a crisis. And a crisis could be? Well, basically just about anything that risks the uh, continuity of an organization. So it could be a big fire in one of the buildings, could be identity crisis, could be uh, image crisis, cybersecurity crisis, could be a lot of things. We hear a lot about everything in the Netherlands is a crisis nowadays. We've got the, the nitrogen crisis. Is that a crisis? How you define a crisis or... No, we, we, we connect it with the continuity of the organization. So if you were, let's say, Shell, then the whole thing around nitrogen would definitely be a an issue to take into account. But whether or not it's urgent enough to call it a crisis, I'm not so sure. It's a combination of, of both things. And now you mentioned Shell. So what are the people that you do this? Because it's a software product, right? Yeah. Who uses your software? Is that like the shells of this world or is it individual end users and like consumers? Uh, no, it would more be like the, the shells of this world. So uh, bigger corporate organizations or parts of the government or local government that use our software to prepare for their crisis management. Okay. And uh, you've been doing this for a few years. Uh, you've got clients all over the Netherlands. That's what I hear you talk about. I'm actually not sure. Do you also have clients outside the Netherlands? Is this an international rollout? Not that much, but uh, uh, we do some events in Brazil. We have a couple of customers in Germany, a couple of customers in Belgium. So it's not our main main focus, but we do have a couple of customers outside of the Netherlands. Yeah. And do they all use the software in the same way? No, but they use the same software. So that, that, that that's sort of a funny thing. Uh, we have one product that is, we kind of sometimes make the comparison with a Swiss army knife. It's right. one tool, but you can use it in, in a lot of different ways. And there's, of course, definitely a difference between, let's say, the, the, the hospital that uses our software for their crisis management preparations and the way a big festival, uh, let's say, in Belgium or Brazil uses our software to manage 
basically more on a day-to-day basis the incidents that they uh, that they ran into. Right. Was it also the, the way you intended it or are you more surprised by the use cases that your clients find? So we've always been growing the product in a very organic way. Uh, we started off with a, a tool that was mainly focused on recording the meetings, uh, crisis management meetings. But based on customer requests, we've grown the tool into what it is right now, very organically, uh, always working with the customer, talking with potential customers on what product or what solution they're looking for that is related to something that we are already doing and that would just require a minor or a little bit of tweaking to make it fit their, uh, their use case. Always with the idea in mind that any additions we do would also be beneficial to the customers we already have. Or if it's not beneficial, then at least it won't hurt them. Right. As we're growing, that becomes harder and harder, obviously, because you're adding more and more stuff. And we don't want to have people having to interact with more and more stuff because during a crisis situation, you want to be able to use the tool very intuitively because... People are simply not not using the tool on a daily basis normally. So just as a sort of a matter of a recap of what your software does, can you walk us through like the workflow from before a crisis, during a crisis, after a crisis? How does your software help in that way? Well, before a crisis, uh, we would work with an organization to make sure that any plans they've already developed on how they would handle a certain crisis scenario to make sure that all those plans are available in our tool to make sure that all the basically the, the administration stuff is already done. So the people that would have to use the tool at some point are in the organization. We would help them train people. And for a lot of organizations, basically that's it. Right, because a lot of organizations, luckily, aren't hit by a crisis weekly, monthly, yearly, whatever. Yeah, let's hope not, right? No, exactly. So, so in most cases, it's just preparation, 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 and that's it. But it is very important to be prepared because we all know at some point any organization will be hit by some sort of crisis. And during a crisis, our tool helps with registering all this information. So, what is actually going on right now? What do we know about the current situation? What do we expect to happen within the next days or weeks? And how can we cope with that expected situation? So to hopefully get ahead of the curve, basically. Because if you don't do this, then you're always just reactively replying to whatever situation throws at you. But you want to be able to think ahead and work ahead so that you can get ahead of the curve. And then in the the aftermath of a crisis, our tool really helps with going back and showing, for example, to an insurance company what you did to make sure that you uh, you dealt with this crisis with, with the least amount of, of, of disaster uh, and also to learn from the crisis, to, to make sure that uh, you can improve your plans, improve your training, and improve your organization, basically, so that if a crisis, it may, may be this, the, the, the exact same type of crisis, maybe a different kind of crisis, would be dealt with in a more efficient, better way next time. Business-wise, that's the thing that I'm puzzled with, and uh, now it's time to get a hard question out, <laughs> oh, is yeah. you you wake up at a day, many years in the past, and uh, you were like, you know what I'm going to do in my life? I'm going to make software for crisis management. How does that work? You know, just on the <laughs> Sunday morning, you wake up and I'm like, Eureka, I got it. I got it. So what, what happened there? Well, as you would expect, it really didn't happen that way. Oh, surprise, surprise. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, a friend of mine, uh, René, he's also my, my business partner. He had another another company where they helped organizations prepare for crisis situations. So they did a lot of training, exercises, things like that, preparing for crisis situations. And back in the day, so it's about eight years ago now, what most organizations used to do is they would put flip over papers on the wall and they would ask to write down whatever was said during the meeting. 
So they would have the crisis management meeting in the exercise setting and somebody would be uh, on the wall uh, with, a, with a paper and a pencil writing down whatever was said. That was about 2015. And basically Rene figured that that was not the appropriate way of doing things anymore. It still is, is, an, is appropriate if you're in the situation where you have no internet, no electricity, no nothing. But in most crisis situations, that's just not the case, right? You do have internet, you do have electricity, you can simply work together and make life much, much easier with the support of a good software tool. So that's where we started from, from that idea. And from there, it grew basically because if you're creating a log of this crisis management meeting, then based from that log, you would also create actions. Well, if we create actions, we want people to know about these actions. You want to keep on status updates with the actions. So you also create an action module and then Based on that, you add more and more and more modules simply because it's the most most logic thing to do based on that starting point. So then still one morning, your friend Rene calls you and said, hey, Ruth, Ruth, I got the best idea in the world. And you immediately got excited. You're like, oh, man, I found my calling. And to an extent, yes. <laughs> As you might recall, I get really annoyed by people doing manual stuff that is unnecessary, that, that can be done so much simpler, better, quicker by a computer program. And so that, the same case here. So indeed, I, I do kind of get excited about people throwing these sort of problems at me where I think, all right, how can we make this so much better, so much easier for the people and the organization that, that are dealing with basically the crappy tools that they're using right now? So I'm going to hold that thought about making life better for, for people around you till a little later in the show. And you know exactly why it is. Um, we're going to keep it as a, as a teaser for the listeners. Sure, sure. <laughs> so the, the reason that I ask you about it, like, what's your calling and why do you do that? It's because you've been doing this for many years and uh, not on day one, it was an overnight success. It, it was a success in the making, but you just have to stick with it, right? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, you need to keep that motivation up. And uh, also if the if the results are not yet showing. So it's important. And thank you for sharing your story that way. The other question that is related to uh, like the woo and the people is, I understand now why you want to do it, but why are you the best person for the job to tackle this problem? You and Rene. It's a good question. But I think the combination that we have indeed with, uh, with Rene and myself between the two of us is knowledge about crisis management and, and experience on what these teams do, how they work, what does work and what doesn't work. And myself more on from the, from the technical perspective, how you would solve basically an analog problem using digital tools, making the, the translation between the problem and the software tool is something I've been really interested in for a long time. And I've been, I've been doing that also for quite a long time. So the combination of the two of us, I think really made for a good team to tackle this issue. And you mentioned that Rene has more experience or prior experience to crisis management? Yeah, as I just mentioned, he had a, another company where they did a lot of uh, crisis management exercises and trainings. He had been doing that for a couple of years before we dove into this problem. So he, he already had quite a bit of experience with that. So what would have happened if you would have tackled the problem of crisis management on, and how companies deal with it just on your own or with another co-founder who had no prior experience? How would it have different? Like why? What's the benefit that an industry expert like Rene brought into the company? Well, to be completely frank, if Rene would not have brought it up, I probably would not have started there because... Right, it's, so it's ideation is one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and it's also, it's, it's not a field many people know about. I certainly didn't. So if he would not have brought it up, I would never have thought about it. But let's say I would have. Well, what we did in the beginning, and, and I think from a technical perspective, 
I could maybe have done some of that on my own, but it's really bringing together all these customers and potential customers, especially in the beginning, that would be willing to share with us the kind of problems they were running into. That gave us and me a very good picture of what the solution would have to do. Right. And that's where we all things started rolling. So it's, it's it, well, you might say ideation, but it's also access to people that know the problem really well. Early Early customers? Early in the sense that, that there were some organizations back then that actually bought the product before it was even written, right? So, right. so, so, right. so we talked with them. They were really enthusiastic about the idea and they basically said yes before we had anything. And how did that work like practically or, or operationally? So you call someone and say, hey, Jim, we need to talk or can you walk us through that? How do you get your, your first customer? Do you actually get a like and, and in the end, do you get a letter of intent or how does that work? Like storytelling operationally. You must have some good war stories here. <laughs> well, I think I do. Yeah. You want to share them? In, in the in the complete utter beginning, before we even had the company as an entity, what we started with basically was a hacked together PHP sort of thing. That was basically an automated version of the paper form that people used to use for the log keeping part. And so we, we did a very quick and dirty mock-up of, of a digitized version of that with some, even in fact, well, that, that's kind of funny. In fact, with the Shell logo on top of it, we weren't going to show it to Shell, but hey, why not? Uh, <laughs> Fake it till you make it. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I still have some screenshot of that first initial version as well, which is really fun to look at now because it's the product has evolved so much further. But but anyway, so we started with that and then, then showing that to people, giving it to people to see how they would respond, writing down all the stuff they mentioned about, yeah, but this, this looks cool. But if I were to use this, I would also have to have this, 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 and this. So we were writing down as much of that information as possible. Um, and then with the first actual customer, I think we were in a situation that they they were you know they were a good customer of the the other company Rene was running so he he had regular access with with some of their people pitched the idea for them so we're thinking of making a product like this and that would you be interested well they, they said yes obviously and then we started working and talking with them showing the well the very ugly early uh, uh, thing that we had and and working with them. And, and I mean, they, they had to have a lot of trust in us because we said, all right, so we're going to build this and that, and it's going to look like this, and it's going to work like that. But we, we didn't have anything to show them yet. But they went ahead and said, yeah, if you're going to build this, then we will buy it. So there was no real letter of intent, but the intention was there. And we had from other organizations as well, very enthusiastic reactions to that first prototype we had. So we figured we're just going to start this. We're going to start it very small with, with a minimal viable product, but just build it and see where we go from there. This season of the What's the Big Idea podcast is sponsored by Collaboration Superpowers. We help individuals, teams, and leaders work together from anywhere successfully. And just for listeners of this podcast, we have a special remote working success kit ready for you. With everything from personal user manual templates to team agreement guides, virtual meeting planners, and team building tips, you can download your remote working success kit from collaborationsuperpowers.com slash superkit. 
And now, on to some big ideas. At one point, don't you, because you mentioned a few times now that you take a lot of inspiration from clients, that you grow the product organically with modules and then a new module, new module. Don't you run the risk that your product has a lot of uh, width, like it's really broad product, but then not really focused. How do you balance that? If that makes, if my question makes sense at all. Yeah, right? it, it does. And, and it's a very good question because, for example, we, we have an alerts module in our system where you can al- mass notify a lot of people about crisis situation, or you can alert, let's say, the crisis management team to, to come together in the crisis management room where they handle the actual current crisis. And there are organizations in all of the world that have their whole business built around just that specific part of our tool. So they would they would be much more in depth on what is possible with those sort of tools. But our approach is indeed much more like the Swiss Army knife, because in a crisis situation, you don't want a tool that does a lot of magic, a lot of very exciting, very, very detailed things because you can't foresee what it is actually going to do. So we have purposely built, or at least for some modules, built something that was not as deep as it could have been, but more, more on the simple side, so that it would be easy to use and easy to understand what this thing does when there's already so much chaos and so much stuff going on in an actual crisis situation. Yeah. So, so to some extent, yes, it is rather, rather broad, but it, it also it does contain everything you would need in a crisis situation. So you don't have to switch between three or four different sort of tools that do to do the same thing uh, in some cases in more depth. But we are under the impression that you don't really need that depth in, the, in those sort of situations. And you definitely don't want to be switching from uh, one tool to another and hope that the integration works well. Exactly. Finding out that this colleague is not in this tool, but in the other tool, he, he or she is. Uh, and those sort of things. You don't. You really don't want to have that, that situation. Right. I think that gives a pretty good idea of uh, of what the tool does. Uh, we talked a little bit about the crisis management software and how you came about. And you also mentioned Renee, and you mentioned that you Renee, knew Renee from a long time ago. I'm just very curious. I'm not going through your whole resume, but tell us a little bit about more. Who are you? Where did you go to school? What were your earlier jobs? And and how did you end up at Merlin? Oh, a big one. Uh, so if you if you want to become the CEO of a software company, how do you, how do you do that? What's the secret? Well, what, what's the secret? The secret is to start your own. So if you want to be a CEO, just start your own business. You're CEO from day one. That's that's the easy right. answer. But but basically, then you're CEO just of yourself. So so if you want to be CEO and actually also have some people to manage, you would have to grow the company, and that requires a lot of different skills. I studied applied computing sciences at Utrecht University, so I have a technical background, but I'm, I'm also interested in all the other stuff that is necessary to make an organization run. So because you, you need finance, you need marketing, you need sales, you need, you need a whole lot of stuff. We need security, not, not to, uh, to forget that information security is a, is a large part of our, uh, of our organization. How do you acquire all that, that information, that knowledge? I mean, I also know that you uh, you studied in Paris for a bit. Yeah. What What does it say about you as a person that a you, you know all about it and b you're like no 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 that is not good enough. I'm going to Paris to study. So what drives you? And then the related question: How does that drive relate to a job as a software CEO? I'm just really interested in learning new stuff. You could also say I'm, I'm really curious. I want to know how stuff works, uh, why things do what they do, why it doesn't do something else. Uh, all those sort of things. 
that really helps with acquiring this different stuff. And then on the other side, there's also, of course, the necessity, right? If you if you want to build an organization, you need to have all the moving parts. But when you're just with the, the three or the four of you in the beginning, you just don't have uh, uh, all the necessary people with a very fixed, focused job. You, you will all be doing all sorts of things. You can make some distinction. So I'm, I'm going to focus on this and you're going to focus on that. But you will all be doing basically three, four, five jobs that will grow into actual jobs at some later stage of the of the organization. Uh, so you need people, generic people in the beginning. So it's the, it's the necessity, you know, the invention is the mother of all necessity, or necessity is the mother of all invention, I believe. Yeah, that's, that's the one. But also like the curious mind from the beginning, because you can't force yourself to learn new things if you really don't want to do that. That is if for you sure. If you rather yeah. sit on the couch and watch podcasts, it's not going to happen. So you have to have that, that natural tendency to go out to the world and just pick up a book and, and just read the book. I guess that's what I learned from your story. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, well, I don't read so much books anymore, but I listen to a lot of books still. You know, it's it's distilled information where somebody has spent hours and hours and hours and days writing down the best they know. And you get to listen to all that stuff in six hours. I mean, it's brilliant. With a good book, there's always something to learn that you can apply tomorrow in your own life. Right, sort of. Uh, it always reminds me a bit of the Matrix, where, uh, where I think they're on the roof of a of a building and they see this helicopter and they're like, "Okay, I'm gonna download how to fly a helicopter," and that's sort of how it feels that reading a book. You yeah, know, I think a bit before that, you have the scene where they're in the the jujitsu dojo, uh, where he's downloading everything you need to know to be a jujitsu master. Oh, yeah, which is it's a brilliant scene. Yeah, but it, it's very similar indeed. You you can learn so much from books. Uh, without going through all the experiences, all the learning experiences yourself. Uh, it's right. it's such a, a time saver. That's a nice segue. Uh, you still do jujitsu or Aikido? Which, which one was it? I used to do Aikido, yeah, but I don't do that anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, so it's it's not such an interesting segue, actually. But. Uh, <laughs> I still feel very safe when I walk with you on the streets at night. So, <laughs> and uh, speaking of your private life, because we 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 going into the the other topic of service for the people that we talked about at minute number ten in this podcast. Uh, I know that you done a lot for scouting. That's been one of your biggest passions. I'm not sure what exactly you're still involved with that. There, there's two things I still do with that organization. So I, uh, during the summer, I cock... cock, cock. Leap. <laughs> Leap. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So during the summer, I cook for the uh, the little scout groups. Uh, they go on on summer camp, uh, and I'll be cooking with with, of course, a group of other people. Uh, the the meals uh, for the uh, the well dinner and lunch basically, and also I uh, I'm an advisor to the the rovers is what they're called. So that's a group of uh, of what, basically 19 to 21 year olds that can basically uh, arrange everything they want and need to do for themselves. But I'm just there to uh, to keep an eye out. Right. And then on top of that all, <laughs> being, a <C> <laughs> yeah. so being a CEO of a software company, doing your volunteer work for the scouting, uh, you're like, why won't I be a politician? Yeah, you know, why not? I just really hate being bored, right? No, <laughs> right. no, it's... Uh, it, it, <laughs> Tell me about that. Come on. Yeah, I've, I've been I've been really interested in that for a very long time, in politics in general. So what what do you do in politics? Let's start with that. Yeah, let's start with that. So it's, it's a bit hard to explain, actually, to do it very shortly. But I am 
connected with uh, the city council of, uh, of uh, the city I live in, which is Zoetermeer in the Netherlands. But I'm not actually in the city council. I'm a member of one of their commissions. So if I introduce you as a politician, did I did I lie then? Or how does that... No, you didn't lie. No, you didn't lie. But but people might assume I'm actually in the council, but there's only nine, 39 people in Zoetermeer that are a member of the, of the city council. I'm not one of them. So let's let's make that clear. Right, but you were an elected official, I believe, right? No, also not completely. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, on the I'm learning stuff here. Yeah, it's it's it is very interesting, which is which again is one of the things that really makes this whole being a politician thing very interesting because there is so much to learn about that. Uh, so I I am on the official list where we voted for in uh, 2020. But I wasn't, uh, well, you didn't get enough votes or I wasn't high enough, whichever way you look at it, uh, to actually get voted into the city council. But then you have like the, the commissions, there's two commissions in Sutermeer and the, well, basically the members that do get selected into the city council, they can invite other people to join the commissions to help them with some of the work in those commissions. And you don't have to be part of the official list, but usually that is the case. Right. I'm not voted into that. I was asked into that, but it all sort of hangs together. So let me make another mistake here then. So I'm assuming that you're really breaking bank here with your politician career. You're raking in the big bucks. Uh, uh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> how does this educate people? How does this work in the Netherlands if you want to do something for the, for the greater good of the city? Well, for the, for the, the actual city council members, there's a, you get a, you get a fixed amount of money, uh, that basically allows you to work a little bit less for your, your day job, uh, so you can spend enough time on the city council. For commission members, that is different. We get, uh, we get some money basically for every meeting that we we are part of and sign into. And is that enough to go to the Burger King or is it enough to go to uh, like a five-star Michelin restaurant? Uh, it's, it's more than enough to go to the Burger King, but uh, I, I wouldn't go to the five-star restaurant uh, every week. That, that You wouldn't right, be able to right. play that, no. You've explained a little bit more in depth, and I understand that you don't want to share it. But I think the information about it's—it's uh, it's, it's, it's public information. You can you can easily find it on the internet. Yeah, yeah. but uh, you don't go in there to to make money, right? You really no, do it as, because it's, you feel it's a calling. Yeah, I'm going to ask you a little bit the same question that I asked you before: why why you do Merling? Like, why? What's your calling? Why do you do this? There's a couple of of things that really pull me towards this. One of them is, I think it's a fascinating world that I, I don't really knew a lot about and I still don't really know a lot about, but it's it's fascinating to see basically how the the country or, or your city is run, how decisions on that level are being made. I find that really interesting, but also I get so, basically like I, I mentioned earlier a little bit, I get annoyed when I say people doing things that, that could could be done so much easier, quicker, better, faster. And I tend to think of myself as somebody who has a good idea of how we should be able to do that better, quicker, faster. It's not, not a very nice way to think of, to say about yourself, but I think I, I just know it better, right? Right. I just think I know how we should do this better. At some level, I want to see if I'm right, but also, I, you know, right. there there's so much things going on where, where I think this this is just plain stupid, right? Let's please just stop doing that, right? And and you you can you can shout that from the couch at home, but then nobody will listen. And if you start doing that, basically in a room where there's actually people listening that make these decisions, you might achieve something. And, and modesty is overrated anyway. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, uh, I'm not sure I would agree on that. But. So, yeah, no, I I really feel that uh, if people think, hey, I know it better, but then they start doubting it to them, themselves, like, oh, do I really know it better? And uh, am I the right person? You know, if we, if we all have those doubts, nothing yeah, happens, right? Exactly. If you think you know it better, speak up. Yeah. Prove yourself, at least put yourself out there. And that's, I can appreciate that that's exactly what you're doing here. When it comes to your company, when it comes to your work as uh, on, on the on the council or uh, a, a committee within the council, what is it that you want to achieve? What do you see? How do you see yourself in the next five years? And and coupled to that, and that's sort of the purpose of the show. What do you need? What's your ask on the show? Like, if or from all the people who are listening, what do you want to ask them? How can they help you or or the city of Sutermeer, by the way, because that's what your what you work as a politician now. Yeah, well, there, there's a lot of things to that. I mean, I, where do I see myself? I see myself learning and growing more and more because, like I said, that's what I'm really interested in. It's what I, I really enjoy doing, seeing where I can improve what I do, how I do things, etc. Sometimes I fail at that, of course. Let's, let's be clear on that as well. But uh, <laughs> uh, hopefully on, on more occasions I succeed. So I, I'll be learning more because I'll be trying more. And where can people help me with that? I'm not sure I need help with that, but I would really like to see people, like we just mentioned, you know, speak up when you think you have something to say. Don't don't just complain about what your city is doing to your friends and family, but actually, you know, speak up and, and see how you can make a difference. Right. And for your business, do you need, um, obviously, new clients? You need new uh, employees, perhaps? Um, you're looking for investors? Not so much for investors, but we, we are, of course, looking for, uh, for for good people, good employees, like every company, right? Uh, but we are growing and we are uh, taking on more people. So we, we would, we're looking forward to that. Well, I, I would invite people if they listen to the first part of this show and they uh, they figure this might be something for us, give me a call. We can at least over coffee discuss whether or not it might actually be a fit for your organization. And if not, we might both learn something, uh, which would be good. And if, if it actually there is a fit, then we might be able to help you out. Great. I think that is a nice wrap up of the of the podcast uh, episode so far. And to that effect, I will include your contact details, Ruth, in the show notes. So if people want to contact uh, Ruth, go to the show notes, find uh, his details, email address. And uh, Ruth, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Absolutely. And hear your story. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Okay. Thank you. And there you have it, another inspiring episode of the Ideate with Florian podcast. As always, I encourage you to visit our website at ideatewithflorian.com. That is ideatewithflorian.com. Here you will find links related to this episode as well as other episodes. My name is Florian Hornar and I hope this story inspires you to take your own leap of faith. Thank you for joining us and until next time.